broadcast of tapping to the truth hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats of course with you as always i am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host m tap coming to you from historic rome county tennessee and it is friday night and we are live that's right live on wcet fm radio in columbia south carolina we are live on the lastfrequency.com and we are live on the vera network on tunein.com and if you're hearing this anywhere else well then you're listening to the podcast after the fact and Regardless of where you're listening, welcome aboard. Do hope you're joining us live. Uh, certainly hope to see some of you popping in over at MeWe.com, uh, joining the Last Frequency discussion group. Uh, hop in there, and we'll uh, give you a shout-out here and there. Uh, have to keep folks like uh, Arizona Anti-Hero Company. He's usually in there. I'm not seeing him at the moment. Hopefully he'll join us soon. All right, we got a, a fun, action-packed uh, show. Hour number two is going to be dominated with a couple of uh, really great guests, so hope you'll tune in uh, and hang out with us long enough for that to happen. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to hear from a John O'Connor 
and you're going to want to hear from Richard V. Battle. Uh, those are the folks, and uh, we'll have some good conversations. And we may or may not have a mystery bonus guest here in the first hour. Uh, it just kind of all depends on how things shake out with the schedule. So I'm going to leave it secret for now because I just don't know for sure. But anyway, fingers crossed, and uh, hopefully we'll get there. With the just rampant news everywhere, let's go ahead and talk about something that you're probably tired of hearing about. Usually those are the kind of stories that I tend to shy away from because, you know, everybody else is talking about it to some great extent. But this is one of those occasions where being behind this microphone is an opportunity for me to vent. So let me begin this vent session by saying, first and foremost, I'm very, very happy that Brittany Griner is back in the United States. I am. Not because she's a WNBA basketball player, uh, not because she happens to be uh, a black lesbian, uh, not because she happens to be anything more than a fellow American citizen. That's it, plain and simple. No American citizen should be wrongfully held in Russia or anywhere else around the world for that matter. It's just a simple truth. And yes, it was a wrongful situation. Even if she is guilty of the crime she was accused of, you want to tell me that that sentencing was appropriate? Uh, I have a hard time believing it's anything more than a direct result of the strained relations between Russia and the United States due to ongoing tensions in the Ukraine, which is also a direct result of the failed policies and the complete and total ineptness of one certain Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., uh, you know, the guy currently residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, supposed to be the president, supposed to be the commander-in-chief, supposed to be alive, and I'm not sure that any of those are true. Most of the time when I see him, I get a very ventriloquist dummy weekend at Bernie's vibe. I mean, there's a reason why I referred to this administration at the beginning as Operation Pee Pads and Knee Pads. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, he's anything more than a puppet at this point. Uh, actually, physically a puppet. He was always intellectually one. Anyway, I am glad that Brittany is back home. That being said, I was talking with Matt Fitzgibbons uh, earlier. I, I guess it was yesterday when news was breaking that this was officially happening. And uh, we were conversing uh, very briefly uh, via social media, actually. But he made a really good point, and I just I have to share it. He said that Joe Biden should write a brand new book. And the title of this book, you know, riffing on the Donald Trump art of the deal, should be The Art of Losing the Deal. And he's absolutely right. This has got to be one of the worst trades in world history. A lot of folks keep making jokes about it being a really bad uh, trade even by WNBA standards. A lot of folks have even made references to the Herschel Walker to Minnesota trade. Uh, a lot of people have tried to turn this into a joke, and you know why? Because if we don't laugh about this, we have no choice but to continue to get angrier and angrier. Brittany Griner was traded for Victor Bout. 
the merchant of death. One of the few people that is legitimately on every major terrorist watch list around the world. The only country that does not have Victor on their list is Russia. He's been dangerous all the way around the world. This guy was captured and convicted of terrorist operations due to the statement when he was talking to one of our agents that he thought was a potential customer. They told him specifically, we want these weapons so that we can shoot down American pilots. Not military pilots. We're talking civilian pilots. And what was his response? We have the same enemy. Now, maybe this was Victor just being a master salesman, right? Uh, yeah, you tell the customer what they want to hear. You, you get that camaraderie. Uh, and I'm just trying to, to make a sell here. And there was a lot of that in Victor's past. But this is one of the most dangerous people on the planet. And already, even several mainstream Democrats, big names, have come forth and said, this was dumb. They've talked about how uh, over in the Pentagon, how this guy is going to be right back in his old job within hours. He's probably already selling weapons to terrorists who want to shoot at Americans or our allies. He probably already made a couple of big-time deals. It's a really bad, bad idea. I told you back when Biden had us make this haphazard, ridiculous horrific withdrawal from Afghanistan, that the world just became a far more dangerous place. I think that's played out to be true since then, because without that ridiculous withdrawal, with no planning and uh, no real uh, posturing of any kind that made it look like we had any position of strength at all, if anything, it made it look like we were running away like a poor, tiny, wet dog with our tail between our legs. That's how Joe Biden made our men and women in uniform look, which further emboldens our enemies and puts us at risk, period. End of that discussion. Without that selection of course of action by Biden or whoever was pulling his strings, I still, I do not believe for a second that Russia would have tried invading Ukraine. I don't. I don't think it would have happened. If it wasn't for this, I don't think we'd have the same concerns about right now China possibly at any moment militarily moving on Taiwan, which is still very much in the realm of possibility. In fact, I think I'm being very, very diplomatic in putting it like that. It's almost a certainty and there's going to be a, a time clock on this because China's going to want to make that move while Biden's still in office. You don't want to take any chances that Biden's not the guy next go around, do you? But despite all of that, despite all the unrest that's a direct result, all we have, all we have to look forward to is the fact that Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has made the world yet more dangerous again. And he's done so not only betraying America, not only betraying his uh, leftist constituents, but 
literally betraying every single principle that exists in our country. How? How can you possibly pretend? Because we know Russia doesn't. How can you possibly pretend that Victor Bout is a criminal on the same lines of a WNBA player who just couldn't leave her vape material at home? And, and as far as that's concerned, it's certainly likely. But to be completely honest, how do we even know 100% that that's actually what happened? Things were already heated between Biden and uh, our good friend Putin. Things were already very heated. Uh, Brittany Griner was probably the most famous person that was an American coming through the airport at that time. And uh, her previous admission, her confession, well, how good is a confession when it's made at the point of a gun? Now, I'm still thinking that Brittany probably did very much have her high shisha oils, and uh, it's not out of character for her. We know that to be true, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it is something that should still be considered. But Victor Bout, we know Victor. We know Victor. He's serious. He is not like most people that we know. We spend a lot of time here making fun of Russians. We talk about how they look for moose and squirrel. Victor not wasting time looking for moose and squirrel. Victor kill moose. There, there is no squirrel. Victor kills people. He gets it done. He makes it happen. Businessman. That is his business. The Merchant of Death. It's not a nickname. It was on his freaking business cards for crying out loud. And I'm only exaggerating a little. But uh, let's, let's take a closer look. Forget about that value. Let's forget that one-to-one -one trade. And let's consider the fact that we still have Paul Whelan, a United States Marine veteran, by every account falsely accused of espionage quickly approaching his fourth anniversary in custody. Well, we get every assurance from the administration that they tried very hard and have been trying very hard to get him released as well. But have they? Did they? Paul himself was able to make an announcement, of course, Russian propaganda being what it is, I'm sure they want us to hear it, that he feels like more should be done. And why wouldn't Russia put more pressure on Biden and company to get him released? Because now they know we're willing to trade away one of the worst terrorists on the planet just to get Brittany Griner back. And again, I don't mean to belittle the fact that she should have never be held. And I don't mean to belittle her existence as a person. Brittany Griner should never have been taken into custody in the first place or even – even if she was, she was guilty of a criminal offense, if you believe her confession. But uh, we're talking about vape oil. We're talking about a controlled substance. Now, they're a little more serious about it over there. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, Doug is reminding me that I should have already said bovine excrement several times at this point. And that is absolutely true. Uh, good call, Doug. You're absolutely right. But... <laughs> It's insane. And I do want to address, by the way, I've heard a lot of people referring to Paul as a former Marine. Uh, guys, no. Uh, even though he did 
technically get a dishonorable discharge. Once a Marine, always a Marine. All right, guys? I will I will gladly call him a Marine veteran all day long to make sure that we understand he's not active duty anymore. But to call him a former Marine, well, that's disrespectful to all Marines, and we're not going to do that here. And I would like for all you guys, if you come across somebody making that same mistake, uh, please help correct them politely. Politely correct them. But correct them nonetheless. So if you're willing to give up the freaking merchant of death to get Brittany Griner back, what would you be willing to give up to get Paul Whelan back? Somebody that they've held on to for four years, somebody that they claim to have been a spy. At this point, who knows? Biden's already given away the majority of our strategic oil reserve into the international markets, not really to save U.S. dollars in the U.S. economy, but to save the world economy. He's already given up whatever influence and leverage we had over the Taliban by just stepping aside, leaving not only our allies in country in danger, but leaving behind a fairly large number of American citizens, many of which that are still there. Where's the mainstream legacy media talking about that every day? Oh, well, no, that, that, makes, uh, that makes the Biden administration look bad. We can't talk about that. And even we as conservative commentators, we don't talk about it enough. We need to. I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. There's so much news going on. We're hard-pressed to stay on the topic and keep shining a light on what most people say. Eh, why are you still talking about that, Tim? That's old news. It's still happening news. It's not old news. It's still happening. That makes it current. We need to treat it that way. The Biden administration has been such a failure at the international level. Our foreign policy is probably the worst that has existed in history. We've had some pretty bad ones. His, his domestic policy is not much better, but the foreign policy, well— it's bovine excrement, boys and girls. It's bovine excrement. What else can we freaking say about this? I I really don't get how anybody comes across with this deal thinking it's a good thing. And, and I'm sorry, guys. Uh, when we have members of the administration uh, telling us that, well, this was the only deal. It wasn't a case of, uh, we should have gotten more. It was just, this was it. Well, then it shouldn't have happened. Obviously, he doesn't understand how deals work. How bad do you want Victor? How bad do you want this guy? To, if you're going to make the trade, let's at least make it worthwhile. Let's at least get as many Americans back as possible. And I'm sorry. And I would say this to Brittany's face. If she was here in front of me, even though she's much taller than me and probably, I don't know if you guys have seen her, she'd probably beat me up for it. <laughs> you know what? I'd be very embarrassed about it, but I'd probably also wear it as a badge of honor because it deserves to be said. Sorry, Brittany, you should still be in a Russian <laughs> internment cap based on this deal. If we had some other criminal that was at least at some level n nearly equivalent, then I'm okay with this. If we've got some low-level thief, 
which is still a worse crime than what Brittany did, then okay. Now, what Brittany had is legal in most parts of the world and in big chunks of this country. What she did is she went over there to play club basketball to supplement her income because the WNBA season is relatively short and they don't get paid the big bucks like the NBA does. There's a reason for that. Nobody's freaking watching. And it's not because they're women. It's because it's an inferior league. If you're a fan of basketball, you might enjoy watching women's college basketball where there's still a lot of purity and fundamentals. But the WNBA, they're too busy trying to emulate the NBA with none of the athletic talent required to do it. It's not a lot of fun to watch. I tried to be a fan of the WNBA in the early days. I really did. I was excited about the opportunity. I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't it be really great if some of these women got to play professionally and not have to leave the United States to do it? Because that's what a lot of them were having to do previous. Well, it turns out most of them, they couldn't earn a living, or at least they didn't think they could. Most of them are pulling down more money than I am annually. So I don't know what they're whining about, but, you know, some parts of the country cost a little more to live. But anyway, now I'm kind of sidetracking myself with just ridiculous minutiae. At the end of all of this, it's a very simple, fundamental fact. This was a bad decision. This was a dangerous decision. And the world went from being more dangerous than the day before to a faction that I don't know that we're even going to be able to put a number on. It's an exponential factor. This is by powers of 13 or more. We're not talking about uh, multiplied, it's doubled, it's tripled. We're talking about 13, 15, 18 times itself level. We're talking about the kind of math that gets so big so quick that it's scary. There is no way that somebody doesn't die as a result of Victor Bout being on the loose by the end of next week. There is literally no way. It is statistically impossible. It's not improbable. It's not anything. It's, it's impossible. People are going to be dying soon. And mark my words, Americans will be among them. Is that worth getting Brittany Griner home? I mean, you can make the argument all you want to about, well, you know, she is a woman. Uh, don't give me that from the Biden administration. They can't define what a woman is. They'd have no clue that she was a woman if it wasn't for the fact that she is a self-professed lesbian. So by definition, she must be a woman. And we know her wife is a woman because she identifies as Brittany Griner's wife. Hmm. I just... I, I'm sorry. I, I am still having to vent. I know this is not anything new for any of you guys. If you paid any attention to the story at all, you're getting this covered wall to wall. It is ridiculous. But I have to vent, and sometimes that's what I do when I get behind the microphone. I hope you'll forgive my indulgence. But my indulgence still comes back to the simple fact that this is insane. This may be the second most dangerous thing that Joe Biden has done since becoming president. And what makes it funnier is that he was taking a victory lap. And 
all the Democratic leadership people were right along with him, taking victory lap. Even, even Miss Jean Pierre was talking about how great this was. Commentators on CNN and MSNBC were talking about, well, you know, this is very important, not just to Brittany Griner and her family, but also to the LGBTQ2I plus carrot sign ampersand crowd around the world because it's just so dangerous for all these people around the world. Do you really think that was a factor? I mean, they have to come up with something rather than talking about how stupid the trade was, right? I mean, they're hard-pressed to report on the story and not shine a light on what a ridiculous failure this is. Nobody wants to say Brittany should still be in prison. Honestly, I I don't want to say that. Like I said, I am glad she's home. I, I, I led with that for a reason, because if I waited to the end to say, now I don't want to say I'm not – if I waited to the end to say that, any leftist that wants to take a clip of this and want to try to use it against me later, and that happens all the freaking time to everybody who does this, they're going to have to go past the beginning. Anybody that listens heard me say, period, point blank. And, and I really am glad she's home. I just hate that in order to make that happen, we now face the very real threat of Victor about being back in business and people dying as a result. Brittany, nobody's going to die as a result of Brittany Griner either being back in the WNBA or not being able to play. No lives were on the line other than her own. And it seemed to me like things were going okay over there. As she be, stops being a bargaining chip if they don't treat her well enough that she's not in danger. <laughs> uh, Doug being clever in the chat room. Uh, <laughs> and he's absolutely right, by the way. Uh, I don't know. Glad to see uh, Arizona Antihero uh, having joined us over the last frequency group chat. Uh, hey, AZ, glad to have you here. I'm going to try to regroup because there's another silly story that <laughs> uh, was all the rage early today. We'll address that in a little bit. And uh, just a spoiler, uh, when we come back from the break, it involves one of the two Democrats that were on the naughty list for most of the nationals. We'll be back in just a second. Doug, uh, let's take that mid-hour break. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name's Joe Biden. My name's Joe Biden. <laughs> My name's Joe Biden. As more and more foolish U.S. politicians push for policies that are in direct opposition to our beloved Bill of Rights, we the people have a moral obligation to push back against such madness. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, 
Recently, many people around the world were taken aback by a report that the Islamic Iranian state destroyed the villa belonging to the family of a female rock climber who competed at a tournament abroad without wearing a hijab. Now the rock climber Elnaz Rekebab and her brother were both arrested upon returning from competition in South Korea. While many in the West may frown upon such bigoted cruelty, one has to wonder, are we much better here in the United States where places like Dearbornistan, Michigan allegedly dominated by Sharia law? Or how about the leftist cancel culture that seeks to destroy individuals and their livelihoods if they desire a secure southern border that include a wall or if one correctly identifies a man or a woman as created by god or what about the father who was smashed down by cops because he didn't want drag queens and other smut presented to his children in school wake up america if not forget about it. i'm ron edwards let's meet on the ron edwards american experience 3 p.m eastern daily via the ronedwards.com sponsored by the tri-county liberty coalition second skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact reducing products at second skull we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it second skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete these products are patented and proven. Second Skull is a protective headgear company. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, 
Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into the Truth, wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas and hopefully a very Happy New Year. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, Say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back at it. And it is the Christmas season, by the way. And just in case you didn't realize it, I have a strict policy here on Tap Into the Truth. We do not start playing Christmas music at all until after Thanksgiving. And, well, here we are. It's December. December 9th, to be precise, time of the live broadcast. We got Doug hanging out in the control room, and he's got the uh, known as the Cajun Kitty running wild in there, too. So we've got uh, double duty going on there. Got two of them. Okay, good deal. <laughs> and uh, we got a lot of other stuff going on, too. So let's kind of get back at it. Uh, today's big story, other than the uh, WNBA trade worst of all time, has a lot to do with somebody else that a lot of folks misunderstood the announcement this morning. We're talking about Miss Kristen Cinema. If you're not familiar with uh, Kristen, she happens to be a United States senator for the great state of Arizona. She, uh, along with a certain Joe Manchin, on more than one occasion, pushed back against the Democrats as uh, Joe Biden early on wanted to get his build back better and push through and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And in sentiment, she turned out to be a pretty, you know, moderate Democrat, at least what passes for moderate amongst the Democrats, but she is still clearly a Democrat. Well, she announced earlier today, today being Friday, December the 9th, as I already mentioned, mentioned early by releasing an ad, no less, an ad that sounded kind of odd in occasions, but she's leaving the Democrat Party. Now, that had a lot of 
conservatives and Republicans all excited, and we thought, oh, well, what does this mean? The Democrats won't have uh, full control anymore. They won't do this, that, and the other, but here's the problem. She didn't do this for the United States of America. She didn't do it for the people of Arizona, which is, of course, what she claimed. It's what they would all claim. She did it for one simple reason. It's going to come as a surprise to you because she is a really good politician. She did it for politics. You see, she's going to continue to caucus with the Democrats, so it's not really going to change how uh, committees get assigned. It's not going to change how things get voted um, very often. A lot of the things that the Democrats want to push down our throats are still going to be pushed down our throats. They've got enough people to make that happen. The only way that committee assignments change is if she decides not to caucus with the Democrats. Now, she's certainly not going to get hooked up with the Republicans. That's just not in her. She's not going to end up not on committees by virtue of caucusing all by herself, which is the one way that it would affect the committee assignments. No, she did it for a very selfish reason. You see, I just mentioned she is kind of moderate for a Democrat. But you see, she ran as being not moderate. She ran as being an aggressively progressive Democrat. And she just hasn't lived up to that. Now, what we have seen is she realized that she was in Arizona and uh, trying to trick the Democrats into thinking you're a super progressive is a good plan if you want the Democratic nomination. But to win in the general election in the state of Arizona, you need the McCain voters. And you see, there's a funny thing about the McCain voters. They don't care so much about how loyal you are to the party. They just want to believe that you're willing to stand up to the party that you most frequently associate with. And you see, because she wasn't as loyal to the Democratic Party as they needed her to be, because they, uh, on a couple of occasions, because she actually stood up and said, um, you know what? The people of Arizona would not be okay with me supporting this, so I'm not going to support this, which, strangely enough, is what in a representative republic your elected representatives are supposed to do. There has already been a significant amount of effort, time, and cash spent on selecting a candidate to primary Miss Cinema. The Democrats wanted her out of the party, but what they've actually done is created a situation for themselves where they're not going to be able to primary her because she's not going to be running for the Democratic nomination. She's still going to have two things going for her that whoever they run against her will not have. She has the type of name recognition because she made herself a star, especially to the people of Arizona, by virtue of actually being moderate, which is should be a, a dirty word in modern American politics. 
but at least she actually was moderate and not just we say moderate, but we're really so-called progressive. And she did stand up and do what the people of the state wanted. So she's got name recognition, and she can at least convince a fair number of those McCain voters that she stands on principle ahead of party. And she stands with the people of Arizona ahead of the people in the Beltway. Now, those are all advantages for her, and she's going to be able to make that claim, and she's going to convince a lot of people regardless of how true that actually is. In truth, what we really see is somebody who knew in the Democratic primary she might be vulnerable. She might find herself no longer able to be one of the senators of the great state of Arizona. But by taking herself out of the power structure of the Democratic Party, the ones who want progressives, the ones who want justice Democrats, the ones that wants the next AOC, by taking herself out of their bullseye, there's nothing they can do to stop her. And she's way more likely to continue, <laughs> way more likely to continue to do exactly the thing, same thing she has been. Most importantly, continue to be a U.S. senator. That's what she wants. That's what this is about. If you didn't see her little ad, I do recommend you taking a look at it. You can find it on YouTube and on Rumble, and I would recommend you go to Rumble. There's a ton of places where you can find it. It's interesting, to say the least. Like I said, there's a couple of times where it seems like an odd kind of dating app. Uh, introduction ad is <laughs> really the way it plays out to my mind. But, oh, for the love of Pete. Just a, uh, It was funny, though, how many people got really excited. Oh, no, the Democrats, it's back to 50-50. Uh, no, she did not join the Republicans. She became an independent. And that only changes the type of situation going on in the Senate if she actually decides to caucus as an independent. There are two other big-time independents currently in the Senate. They both caucus with the Democrats, too. So there's actually going to be a lot less effort by the Democratic Party to try and take her out for the same reason they don't try to take Bernie Sanders out. They're doing all the work without using any of the party funds or recognition, and they still 90% of the time show up as a good little Democratic vote. So it is strictly politics. It, it's it saddens me a lot of a lot of potential there all right one more story i want to try to sneak in here before uh we address items in the second hour be sure to stay around for the second hour as we are scheduled to be joined by a couple of great guests uh, at the top of the hour we're supposed to have uh john o'connor joining us again we're going to be talking about the trump fraud uh, decision, uh, the Trump business. And then at the bottom of the second hour, we're going to be joined by Richard V. Battle, and uh, we're going to be having some surviving the holidays discussion with him. So uh, it should be a, a fun time, and we'll get to, to end on a relatively positive note. At least that's the plan, and I can usually count on Richard. Uh, he's pretty good about that. Anyway, fun 
fun, fun, fun story here. Evidently, an arrest warrant, and I, and I got to admit, I doubted it would ever get to this point, but an arrest warrant has been issued for a controversial member of the Biden administration, uh, Mr. Sam Britton. Of course, this uh, is the guy who likes to dress as a girl who got into... <laughs> because he decided he wanted to take some luck. What is going to have to answer the question? What is he going to do when they come for him? <laughs> I get the impression Doug was waiting for this story or one close to it. <laughs> At any rate, that guy who likes to dress up like a girl uh, really works for the Department of Energy. He's already been placed on leave after he stole this woman's luggage in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul at the International Airport last month. And uh, evidently, this past Thursday night, uh, it got reported that a felony arrest warrant has been issued uh, for grand larceny. It has a lot to do with the fact that the luggage he bought uh, value retail value uh, is anywhere from a thousand two hundred to five thousand dollars. So this is some uh, some pretty good luggage, evidently. I mean, and it was a name. Brand. I know it's expensive. Fine, out loud. I can't imagine wanting some luggage bad enough that I'm going to to take it, and it's going to be expensive enough that I get charged with grand larceny. Does it surprise anybody? However, I, I'm sorry, the bad boys tune is still distracting me. I, I want to jam when I hear the song. I love the song. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, no worries, Doug. It was a good play. Uh, it, it's crazy that this happens, first and foremost. But it's not a surprise to anybody that somebody that works for the uh, Operation P Pads and Knee Pads, aka the Biden Harris administration, happens to be a criminal. It doesn't surprise anybody. In fact, it would probably be more of a surprise if anybody working for them wasn't a criminal in some respect. At least if you're paying attention, it would be more of a surprise. But the fact that this guy gets busted for stealing luggage from an airport. And the whole story, you know, we didn't really talk about it much because it was just such a stupid story. But the, it all circles around the fact that he saw it, he liked it, he was seen on camera, on security cameras, literally looking at the name tag on the luggage, taking it off, uh, trying to hide that, taking the stuff uh, with him to the hotel room, then telling the police when they were called that, well, I, I thought it was my luggage because my clothes were inside it. Again, not a surprise. Somebody working for the Biden administration is a liar. And then he leaves the lady's clothes in the hotel room. So technically, he didn't steal her clothes, so he got off that much. He started feeling guilty, called back. I think he started to realize, hey, you know what? There's a reason they called me. The guy was so dumb that he had a story on standby, and it didn't occur to him that if they tracked him down to where he was at, and knew it was him in the first place. There's a reason they know it was him. They have already identified him. I mean, hello? 
five O doesn't show up if they haven't figured out you were there. He got a little bit of courtesy because he works for the administration. So they knew who he was from the beginning. But my goodness gracious. Just insanity. So again, the only reason we're really talking about it today is because they have issued a felony arrest warrant. And I, I got to tell you, I really didn't think we'd get to that point. It is insane. So, hey, congratulations for law enforcement doing the right thing here. It's just a, a funny thing. Something else that's going on that's uh, worth noting. A lot of you guys heard last week and early this week about the ongoing issues with people shooting up uh, power stations. Uh, in North Carolina. I even heard some of the left-wing commentators try to su suggest that it was conservatives, and in particular, MAGA supporters that were out there committing these uh, actions as an effort of terrorism in an effort to support, you know, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, you know, that guy. Uh, it's totally absurd Donald Trump has no interest at all in having somebody support his efforts by shooting up power stations? How does that make sense to anybody? Clearly, it's an act of vandalism. But now, in case you haven't heard, the same thing has been going on in both Oregon and Washington State. Not near as bad, not as many people being left without power, but it has been happening there as well. You want to tell me that there's MAGA supporters that are doing that out west? Now, there are a large number of conservatives in both those states, by the way. We just get the impression that there's not because of how the state governments run. But conservatives generally like to win on principle and based on fact rather than emotion and terroristic actions. The fact that this is going on out there now leads me to wonder if it isn't a concerted effort as opposed to just copycat stuff going on. If maybe there isn't something else afoot. Now, this is that time of the show where I say we're in the conspiracy corner. And I put my tinfoil hat on. And I certainly have plenty of those. But I'm not really suggesting a conspiracy at this point. I am, however, suggesting... The possibility that maybe we ought to keep a closer eye on this, and maybe we should be asking the question why we don't seem to be having better reporting on this. I mean, the best they've offered legitimately was the first couple of days. Uh, thousands of North Carolinians uh, suffering without power for days. And I know the way I said that maybe sounds a little bit like I'm making fun of it. I'm not. It sucks to be in that situation. I'd be mad as a wet hornet, which is really, really mad in case you're not familiar with the saying. But it is absolutely nuts to think that we're at that point. People are going around shooting up power relay stations. Why? I guess we should... Uh, should expect law enforcement to answer that question. And speaking of law enforcement, I doubt we're going to have much time. But uh, what would you say if I told you that China 
is operating police stations all around the world, including in the United States. I wrote a piece that has been picked up by the Reactionary Times, and I will put a link in the show description for the uh, for the podcast that will take you there, uh, talking about exactly that. But in the time since I wrote that, we have discovered – I live long and prosper uh, – in, in the time since I wrote that piece, even more have been discovered, including in Los Angeles. Now, these police stations that are being operated by the CCP, what they're really doing is they're bullying and threatening uh, American citizens and, of course, in other places around the world who have fled China, people who still have families in China. They're using this to try and bully them into coming back to face charges or – to just kill themselves. And this has been an ongoing thing, by the way. We're just now finding out, the general public, uh, unless you've been paying super, super close attention, but the FBI has been aware of it. Christopher Wray was talking about it back in 2020. He was talking about a case where exactly that had happened, where an, a, an American resident who was well on his way to citizenship had been told point blank either return back to uh, China and face uh, – execution there or go ahead and kill himself or his family members that are still back in China would be executed by the party. My question, if the federal government is aware of this, if the FBI has been aware of this since 2020, and I'm guessing they've been aware of it longer than that, that's just when we have the first actual record of anybody from the FBI talking about it. Why do we not have a concerted effort by our State Department and by our Justice Department to shut that down? It's illegal no matter where it's happening. China does not have the authority to do this, and whether you're talking about trying to protect the lives of those people that have escaped China or if you're talking about protecting American sovereignty… These are important things and important issues that both the State Department and the DOJ should be up at arms about, should be working tirelessly to put an end to. But I guess we really have to revisit why I have so often referred to Joe Biden as Beijing Biden. Live long and prosper. It would appear… The Biden crime family has been in the employ of the CCP for quite a while, and you got to give him at least this much credit. He knows where his bread is buttered. Just another story to keep track of, and I do hope you'll check out the article, and uh, if for whatever reason you don't get around to seeing it, by all means, come visit any of my social media. Boys, uh, you'll you'll find links to that and everything else I've written. Now we're down to about three minutes before I have to uh, to end this hour, and you know what? I'm probably not going to make it to the full three, so I hope that Doug is ready for that. But uh, as as we do that discussion, uh, what happened in the last statement? Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, 
The fun thing to to keep in mind is that it is Friday, and we're going to change tones drastically in the second hour. This first hour was all about me getting stuff off my chest. It's important stuff, though. And uh, I do hope that where we went from the oversaturation of the uh, Brittany Grimes story to the under-reported of the Chinese extra police stations, that one's one you need to be checking out. It is a legit story, and it is big-time important. So, with that having been said, let's go ahead and end this hour. Don't go anywhere. We start the second hour, uh, fingers crossed, with uh, returning guest, John O'Connor, a.k.a. Deep Throat's Lawyer. We'll be back in hour number two, right after this. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap, Tap Into the Truth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much. I have to kind of let the ACDC music play all the way down before I get started. Uh, digging that special thanks to Ken Crow for being uh, just so good uh, to me and the show and uh, glad to finally have a liner with him in it uh, now ladies and gentlemen now we are in hour number two of the live show so if you are listening to WCETFM thank you for being here if you're listening <laughs> over at the lastfrequency.com thank you for being here and uh, if you're listening to the Vera Network over at tunedin.com. Thank you for being here live. And if you're listening anywhere else, then you're listening to the podcast. And man, you need to come join us live. All right. With all that being said, it is my great honor and privilege to welcome back to the show a repeat guest. He is the author of Postgate How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. He's the host of the Mysteries of Watergate podcast, which is a really fantastic podcast, by the way. If you have not started listening to that yet, you are missing out on just really fantastic stuff. He's working on a brand new book as well. I need to get an update. Uh, to see where we're at with that, because it is the mysteries of a uh, Watergate uh, book that he's working on. And uh, you know what? Beyond that, he is still a uh, practicing attorney. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Uh, Deep Throat's lawyer, uh, John O'Connor. John, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I appreciate getting a chance to talk to you. Well, good to be with you, Tim. Yeah. All right. Uh, first and foremost, uh, how are things coming with the book? Uh, how, how close are we getting to that release? Because I know we talked about it last time, and I, I haven't really been keeping up like I should. Well, this is – I'm sorry. What were you asking me about? Uh, the new book that you've uh, been working on. Oh, the on. new book. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, new book's doing fine, doing fine. Uh, one of the interesting things we have is as I bring out this new book – uh, which is the mysteries of Watergate, what really happened, where I take everybody step by step through Watergate. Uh, the sales, oddly, of Postgate, which is really about the Washington Post, how they covered up Watergate, 
and and started and kept covering it up and kept covering it up and are trying to create false history today. That book is suddenly surging. So either book is fine with me, Tim, you know, because they're both great books and they both tell you things about Watergate that you never knew. And what's scary about each book is that here we get rid of a president, most powerful country on earth at the time, most overwhelmingly reelected his, uh, president in our country's history, all done by journalism. And yet, as I point out and prove, it was knowingly false journalism. I'm not saying everything they said was false, but they concealed so much that it becomes false. If I tell you that you're looking to buy my property and we get plenty of water on the back 40 and you can, you know, get it at 10 feet with a well and you're interested in growing soybeans, well, if I don't tell you that the water's tainted with toxins, I've defrauded you, haven't I? Uh, and that's what we have in Watergate. The whole story was really, the real story was concealed. The surface of it, Nixon's reaction to something he didn't understand uh, the Post made a big deal out of it, a huge deal out of it, while concealing the stuff that really was central to the whole um, the whole program. So it's a scary and a cautionary tale. And there's a reason that I'm getting deplatformed by the Post whenever they can do it. Now, that this um, and uh, and they do it when they can. And, uh, you know, so with some media outlets, I, I can't get a play because they deplatforming but luckily we're getting it out there with a lot of local and regional radios and podcasts bill o'reilly featured my book on his podcast so we're getting out there and people who do read it love it yeah well you know you do have a a great first-hand knowledge of uh, what happened and you've done a really good job of uh of making sure that uh, it's chronicled very well. I've been very impressed with it. And uh, I, I know I mentioned last time that you were on with us how much I'm really enjoying the Mysteries of Watergate podcast. Uh, you've done such a great job with it because you lay out that information. It has the bill of the true crime podcast, which is all the rage. And uh, I, I don't I don't think I've come across anybody that I've recommended it to and that they've listened to that have come back and said, Oh man, that's terrible. Everybody has been loving it. So uh, you've done such a great job with it. I, it's very, very hard to imagine that if it gets in the hands of an objective individual, that they're not going to learn a lot of stuff they just didn't know before. But the other thing uh, is it's kind of scary how many parallels are running currently based on media, uh, both uh, legacy media like the Washington Post and uh, social media and how they're controlling and how they're defrauding uh, our information consumers because they just they decide they pick the side and they don't want you even entertaining the idea that uh, that there might be a different uh, point of view involved. Uh, it's gotten kind of scary along those lines, and we're seeing the Twitter files, as they're calling it. A lot of things that uh, conservatives were suspicious of for a long time have been proven to be true. A lot of their lies have uh, come forward, and yet we still see uh, a classic gaslighting going on by all these folks, including uh, this uh, this stuff going on with the Trump organization in an effort to keep trying to uh, once again target a uh, former president that they're terrified of. Well, yeah. 
so we have two things going on, and that's what I talk about. I not only talk about the suppression of the truth during Watergate, but I talk about how the suppression continues. And any time anybody raises their voice, like I do, to say, wait a second, the king has no clothes, this is wrong, that is suppressed. And that is made out to be, oh, everything's a conspiracy theory. Remember, people on the right side of the ledger never use the term conspiracy theory. They say something's either right or it's wrong, and here's why it's wrong, here's why you're partially right and wrong, and debate like adults do. But if you're on the other side of the coin and you say something, Tim, like, you know, I think, it's my belief, that the evidence shows that COVID probably came from a lab leak. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're trying to hurt the public health. Uh, you know, oh, you think the Great Barrington Declaration is good. Well, you're a conspiracy theorist. Rather than arguing, rather than saying, okay, here are the facts. Here's what I think. What do you think? And then you say, well, here's why I think you're wrong. So what happens is there's an effort to suppress and to backfill and to make you feel guilty uh, for saying, gee, you catch somebody suppressing your conspiracy theorist for saying they suppressed it. For instance, the Hunter Biden thing. Now here it is just as plain as day, first of all, that he had a laptop that was incriminating, and number two, that it was suppressed during the 2020 election by all kinds of people. Now that it's coming out, you'll hear it full-throated on Fox or uh, someplace else, but one of the places you won't find it full-throated is in any of the major media. Oh, it's kind of dismissed, and it's kind of like, oh, there's crazy right-wingers, now they're getting back. It's either old news that we shouldn't be talking about, or it's not news, or it's exaggerated. No, this is a big deal. We're all being gaslit, gaslighted, if that's the term. People are yeah. saying, oh, no, this isn't that serious. Now, there are a lot of uh, sheep out there that believe whatever Rachel Maddow says or whoever, and it goes, oh, yeah, this is another, uh, another right-wing conspiracy thing. No, it's not. This is far greater than anything that happened in Watergate, anything. Watergate looks like a jaywalking ticket to compare what these guys did. Think about it. In, in, in Watergate, the FBI tried to run a clean deal. That's why Mark Felt went to the garage. He wanted to keep pressure on to keep his investigation open. He wasn't trying to get Nixon. But now what we have is we have the FBI out there trying to suppress information, trying to work with big media, and, by the way, a, a political campaign to suppress information. So the FBI, which traditionally had stayed out of politics as much as it could, now is willingly dive, diving into it. When they get caught, then everybody acts like nothing happened. This is the same thing in Russiagate. Oh, Russiagate, no, we were in good faith. We were, it wasn't any, oh no, maybe we made a couple mistakes, but come on now, you right-wing conspiracy theorists, come on now. No, Russiagate was a big deal. You basically spread a lie using the FBI and a campaign, working again with a campaign. Now, this is two elections in a row where the FBI has worked with a campaign, and it almost worked in uh, the Clinton election, and it did work with Biden. Um, and there you are getting on one side of the ledger with false information. Then when they get caught, oh, no, 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 we didn't do anything wrong, or we were you know, doing the best we could. It was really, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Uh, so this is really scary because they don't – nobody admits their sins. Part of being a good person is admitting when you've made an error. And, you know, the, the left is constantly 
asking the right to denounce this person or somebody over here 3,000 miles away said something. Aren't you going to denounce him? Well, they won't even admit their own clear uh, errors, their own clear, really, crimes and sins. They won't admit them. No, 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 no. It's old, like you talk to the press secretary. Oh, that's old news, the Hunter Biden thing. We've got a lot more impressive things to talk about than, you know, than that. Well, it used to be that Watergate was a big deal and things like that where you're investigating after the fact what really happened. I think that's a legitimate use of congressional resources. But yet, if the Republicans do that, you just watch people be crying and screaming, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't investigate. Now, on the other hand, they will investigate January 6th to the cows come home. I mean, it's getting a little ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how much time and effort you need to investigate what a few foolish people did on one tunnel at one day. But um, but that's what they did in trying to spread it out and make everybody in the world to blame for it. But but nonetheless, uh, uh, use of the committee is perfectly appropriate if done in, in moderation and proportion to the offense. But you watch. This Hunter Biden thing comes up, and this is one of the most horrendous conspiracies ever. Uh, talk about a conspiracy theorist. Yes, it was a conspiracy. We know it was a conspiracy. Uh, the proof is there, and it's being meted out every day by uh, Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss. And they're doing a really good job because those are honest journalists. Barry Weiss got fired from the New York Times because she insisted on some level of honesty and transparency and nonpartisanship, and she couldn't find it. And so she found herself persona non grata there. It's really a very much of a cautionary tale. If you want to be a journalist for one of these big legacy media players, you got to play ball, and that includes throwing away your integrity. Yeah, there's there's no room for honest journalism in professional journalism anymore and uh, a lot of that uh, is not a new thing but it is so clearly enunciated now it's so easy to see for what it is uh, you mentioned the denial tactic and then the old news tactics we've really uh, even seen uh, the uh, press secretary Ms. Jean-Pierre uh, literally say those things this week in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, well, uh, we can't comment because that was the uh, that was the campaign, and we're the administration. The same people uh, uh, there, uh, Jean Pierre. The same people, and uh, you're in charge of the FBI now. So why are you not fixing a problem that you know is a problem? And then we also heard the statement, oh, well, that's that's old news. We need to be talking about the new stuff. I think that Saul Alinsky would be very proud. And once again, we see uh, 1984 being used as a playbook in, and a how-to manual instead of a cautionary tale. Uh, it, it is kind of scary. Well, it is. And what do we do to, to right this ship, Tim? That's what is the big question. And I think besides talking about it and raising our voices, which we have to do, we have to really make a concerted effort to to say and to shame the other folks into debating fully and fairly. I'm not saying I want the opposite um, uh, approach here. I don't think we want to act the same way they do. I think we want a full and fair debate. That's all. That's all we ask, and we don't get it. Um, so, um, but that's what we have to look for. And that's what we have to shame people into. And we have to get to those people who are nice people, but right now are simply go along with the program, whatever it is CNN tells them. 
they take their cues, somehow uh, those regular good folks who mean well and, and believe in the, the conspiracy theories that they're being told are conspiracy theories, we have to get to those people. And if we get to enough of them, and I think that's happening a little more every day, where people are saying, you notice CNN's ratings are plummeting like a rock. Now, maybe they'll get them back on as they're trying to be a little bit more fair and balanced, but that's what needs to happen. And then once that happens, people will say, gosh, we're not going to have a very good um, rating if we continue to be so biased. So maybe that can happen. Uh, That remains to be seen. Yeah, I I certainly hope for that. I know this is... It's echoes of our last couple of conversations together because that's clearly what we need to get to. Honest journalism needs to make a comeback. Uh, now, in regards to uh, honesty in journalism as opposed to honesty in politics, we, we don't expect that. Uh, would love to get your thoughts on uh, the uh, recent uh, uh, Trump Organization fraud case. Obviously, they were found guilty. And while it doesn't seem to directly touch Donald Trump, the media and every uh, politician with a D at the end of their name certainly wants you to think that. Uh, Love to get your thoughts on how this has played out to this point. Sure. This is a big nothing burger. Uh, I was a prosecutor. You never prosecute. You usually don't prosecute the organization when you get the CEO or the CFO, as they did here. There's no reason for it. All you do is get a little more money by way of a fine. You spend $2 million to bring the case to trial, and you get a million and a half in a fine. Whoopie-doo for something everybody knows happened. And so all it was was the CFO, who had already pleaded guilty, said, hey, I'm a CFO, and because I'm high up, anything I do, I do for the organization. I was the highest guy. By definition, this is a crime of the Trump organization. Whoopie-doo. So they so then the prosecutor tries to make it look like Donald Trump. He just volunteers in his final argument without evidence that Trump knew about this. Well, there's no evidence that he did, and they didn't put any evidence. And if they had the evidence, they would have put it in. They don't have it, okay? They do not have it. And so it's dirty pool. But that's all this is. It's using the government the resources of the government for campaign purposes to politicize and weaponize the process so that the Democrats stay in power. And it's exactly what Watergate was supposed to rein in, the whole idea of using people. reason people didn't like what Richard Nixon did, they thought, they thought he did, was using his power for political purposes, his executive power, and that's exactly what's happening now. Executive power is being used for political purposes, more so than is normal. It's one thing if you're an executive and you use your power to pass a good law and you think that's good politically, yeah, that's fine. Or you have foreign policy that looks good politically. Um, um, uh, One second here. Uh, But in any case, um, the... um, that's that's the problem with this, and that's the problem with what they are doing. Yeah, I've heard people go so far as to suggest that the primary reason Donald Trump had announced his campaign for re-election so early was an effort to try and avoid some of these criminal activities because there's a reluctancy to 
prosecute uh, former and currently standing presidents. Uh, I kind of thought that he just wanted to try and clear the field as much as possible before this became a situation where other candidates got locked into running and then it became a uh, a primary that they didn't really want a part of. I kind of thought that was the logic and rationale behind it. But in it making it that is. insinuation, you are still... Uh, putting this image in somebody's mind that Donald Trump was up to something nefarious. And uh, that's just another great example of exactly what we're talking about here. Well, yeah, it makes no sense. The fact is the only rule that's out there is that you shouldn't indict a political uh, partisan within 90 days of an election. So the fact that he's running for president now doesn't make any difference for the next one year and nine months. So it's silly. That's a silly thought. And it's just one of those things that's thrown out there, like the whole idea that, gosh, he's keeping um, classified documents at Mar-a-Lago because he's going to sell them to the Russians. He's going to make a lot of money. That's what these uh, stations said. Now, of course, as soon as the uh, midterms are over, the Washington Post says, oh, yeah, you know, it turns out that's not what Trump was going to do at all. He's just just sort of a, uh, you know, a narcissistic guy who wants to keep his trophies of Kim Jong-un. Well, gosh. That's a surprise to everybody, you know. That's a big surprise, but that's what every a, a reasonable person would have thought before. Trump wanted to keep his trophies of his office, and the archives was trying to keep him from him and not letting him see stuff that they should have let him see. You see, once, once the archives gets documents, they not, they're not supposed to keep them from Trump. But that's what they were doing. So Trump knows that if he gives documents to the archives, he's not going to see them again. Whereas the Presidential Records Act says no. He has exclusive access to him for 12 years. He can see him anytime he wants. So people forget that, and that's the motive for this whole fight. Now, I don't think Trump, as usual, listens to his lawyers. That's no new news to anybody. But yeah. let's call a spade for what it is. And it's not him. But what I'm saying is people make up these stories like, oh, he's doing it to sell things to the Russians. Oh, he ran for president so that he can stop from being indicted. People make this stuff up with no evidence. It makes no sense. But there's a certain amount of people, like you say, Tim, they believe this stuff. And then they, they feel good that somebody in authority, you know, Anderson Cooper with nice glasses and white hair says it. Well, I can say it too. And I won't be looked at as a dummy because Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon are saying, it. well, come on now. It's just stupid. But remember this, the people out there, uh, understandably, look for these guys for their considered opinions. They trust them, and uh, and you know, and to a certain extent, they're staying on the wagon. A lot of people are falling off that CNN wagon and aren't trusting him anymore. But nonetheless, that's the whole program. And once they see, once CNN sees that they can't keep fooling people. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, they're going to start going to Fox. They're going to start going to other places for their news. They're going to start reading the Wall Street Journal or some other or the New York Post. Um, yeah, I, it's it's uh, absolutely a, a positive that folks are waking up to it. But it is nuts. It's sad how many people are still trusting these folks in uh, that phenomenon. is It's not something new, but it does show you, number one, they count on their listeners 
to not be well-educated enough and not being able to engage in critical thought. And sadly enough, if you're still watching or listening to these folks, there's a good chance that they're right about you. Uh, uh, one more quick yeah. uh, topic uh, before uh, we uh, say our goodbyes, John, because I've already uh, taken up a lot of your time and I appreciate your willingness, but wanted real quick to get your thoughts on this Brittany Griner, uh, Victor Bolt trade because uh, to me this is one of the craziest things i've ever seen i don't know how you can uh, justify that particular trade given the difference between what uh, a wnba basketball player represents as opposed to an international terrorist who was literally on everybody's watch list except for russia's well not only that that when nbc news first sourced this through andrea mitchell it was clear that the negotiations where putin would say it's either Whalen or Griner, either one of them, but not both. Now, later on, when they realized that that meant that Biden chose Griner over Whalen, oh, that was taken down from their website. But that's what happened. So not only is it a bad trade, it didn't need to be that trade. We had the right trade there. And now what we've done is to the eyes of the world, we look stupid because we're now giving up a really big high-value target for a civilian for a civilian that may be a decent person, I don't know, Brittany Griner, I'm not going to prejudge her. I don't care about if she uses hash oil or not. But, um, and she doesn't like the country and doesn't like the anthem. All those are fine. They have, she has a right to do that as an American. But it's a bad trade. You're, you're getting, you're trading Stefan Curry, uh, you know, for a CYO player. That's what you're doing. And so um, it's not a good trade, and it makes every american in a foreign country more uh, more vulnerable to be being kidnapped because you look what you get for uh, just a regular citizen you know maybe someone that people know but it's still a citizen that doesn't have any national security implications now we're letting an arms dealer go it's just ridiculous yeah, and so I'll, they're trying to I'll give once you one again, better they're, uh, to they're just honest about the news tim yeah. I'll give you one better on that one, too. You just made the world a more dangerous place because this guy is going to be back in business. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, by the end of uh, by the end of next week. Uh, anyway, John, right. uh, I uh, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, let everybody know one more time where they can find the books and uh, where they can find the podcast. Well, um, if you go to postgatebook.com, you can get everything. Uh, my recent book, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened, my seminal book, Postgate, uh, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and began to taste partisan advocacy journalism. You get all that on my website, postgatebook.com, and I urge everybody to go. There are a lot of articles I've written in there, and I uh, hope they like it. I'll answer any questions off my website there, and I love to interchange with people who have read the books and so forth. So um it's it's a it's I, I want to encourage the discussion of these topics and so that's why i'm doing it absolutely and you do a fantastic job of it too uh john again thank you so much for joining me i i look forward to our next conversation sir thank you so much god speak great to you. tim good talking to you god bless you buddy see you Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, John O'Connor, a.k.a. Deep Throat's Lawyer. Uh, and that's just such a small part of uh, what he does. Uh, definitely, I can't recommend the books enough. Check out his website. And uh, in the meanwhile, let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break. Uh, Douglas, if you don't mind, uh, take it away, my friend. Take it away. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. 
This is Az. Me too. Sharing the night together. Much has been written in recent years to try to totally dismiss the indisputable fact that America was founded upon the biblical principles of Judeo-Christianity. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. If you gather all know-nothing history revisionists into one little room, try as they may, they would not have the power to change or get rid of the facts. Anyone who examines the original writings, personal correspondence, biographies, and public statements of the individuals who were instrumental in the founding of the United States will discover an abundance of quotations revealing the profound extent to which their thinking and their lives were influenced by a Christian worldview. That is not to say that all of the founding fathers were Christians, although most were. But even the few that were not Christians were still deeply influenced by the principles of Christianity. We can easily be so distracted wondering if Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson ever placed their personal faith in Jesus Christ that we easily miss the fact that all of the founders not only thought from a biblical perspective, but many of them lost everything, including their lives, so that America could be free from King George and today would remain free from domestic tyranny. I'm... Ron Edwards. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You did it! Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Constitutional Grounds. The hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds Coffee Display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Being stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bimonthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. speaker and media commentator and you're listening to Tim Tap on Tapping the Truth.
right, ladies and gentlemen, you are indeed listening to Tap into the Truth. And guess what? Just so happens that that author and public speaker and media commentator by the name of Richard V. Battle is joining us once again. It's his third time uh, visiting us. You may remember back the first time we were talking about everything going on at the southern border, which is still going on at the southern border. Uh, We don't seem to have an administration that cares enough to, to do much about it. His second visit, it was uh, shortly after the release of his latest book, Made in America by Americans, uh, not Americans. And uh, now we're going to be talking about making our way through the holiday season with hope. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Richard V. Battle. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for uh, spending uh, this evening with us. I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you again. Tim, it's great to be with you again, and thank you so much for having us back. Oh, uh, the <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the uh, the honor and pleasure is definitely mine. Uh, I don't think enough people really focus on how hard the holidays can be, unless you're somebody that's actually going through a hard time during it. Uh, I tend to try to stay positive. I know I try to keep uh, things on that. Uh, that mindset during the holiday season. Uh, once we get past Halloween, I'm one of the happiest guys you're going to run across. Uh, and I try not to let personal stuff get in the way of that because I always know that there are other people that are watching what I'm doing. But when it comes down to somebody that's actually grieving through the process, sometimes just acting that way it can make things worse, but you still want to try to be a positive influence. Uh, you've addressed this in some of the stuff that you've written and uh, I think that it's an important topic, and I think that we really need to uh, to keep that in mind as we're doing our celebration, to always try to include but never take for granted how people should be feeling. Well, I think that's correct, and especially these last couple of years, I think there's a lot more grief and heartache that's going on every day, and the holidays make it worse than it is at other times of the year. And if we, if you've never experienced it, it's easy not to be in tune. And, and I've experienced it when I wasn't in tune and then experienced it to where I was basically forced to be in tune. And it's once you understand, then it's much easier to try to empathize and be, be there for people and be helpful. Uh, a lot of uh, your mindset and the way you've laid this out comes from a position of faith, uh, and I certainly can appreciate that, and I hope that most people uh, can also. But most of the advice that you're offering uh, is pretty much universal. Uh, what are some of the things that you would recommend, first of all, in trying to just recognize where folks are uh, maybe struggling, especially if they're trying to hide it? Well, first, and the two bases that I think that uh, you're referring to, just so people will know, I, I lost my only son and wrote a, a faith-based book about how God helped me get through that called Surviving Grief by God's Grace. And then some years later, I went through a divorce, two heart procedures, and a cancer diagnosis in 10 months. And that faith-based work was called Unwelcome Opportunity. And I, the first experience I had was when I was nine years old, and my great-grandmother passed away on Christmas Day. And, of course, to a little kid, you were all excited about the Christmas, 
And when she passed a little bit later, that was kind of a wake up that it wasn't all uh, cake and ice cream, if you will, on Christmas Day. And then later losing my son and the experience of that first Christmas and the self-focus and everything. And so the first first thing that I want to share with people is I learned that the question to ask when you have grief is not why me, because I believe all of us go through losses. It doesn't matter whether we have faith or not, but why me looks into the past and it only looks at us. And I don't believe God is in the past. And so what for me works is the question, what now? What am I supposed to learn from this adversity and this loss that will help me go forward and help me help others? And I believe God is in the future waiting for us to come to him uh, once we learn those lessons. And I want to learn one lesson for one suffering, not have to go through two, three, or four sufferings for one lesson. Yeah, uh, I think that is something that we uh, do tend to lose sight of. Uh, most people, by nature, tend to be a little, uh, well, I, I don't want to use the word selfish, but I guess that is kind of the best word to use here uh, when we kind of get down into our own pity. And when you're grieving, it, it's hard not to, uh, especially if it's something... Uh, as significant as losing a child. I mean, that is the, the type of thing that no parent should ever have to do. And uh, that, to me, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking to think about. And to know that somebody's actually experienced it, it does make every holiday uh, a little bit harder. It's, it's not something where the pain really goes away, but it, it is a case where having a good network around you, a good support group, uh, is fundamental but uh, it really is hard for a lot of folks to, to put themselves into a position of being vulnerable enough to let people help them because they don't even really want to, to get into it. They're so focused on their own pain. Uh, how do you address trying to, to offer that bridge without uh, you know, pushing too hard? I, that's kind of the balance that's got to be there. Uh, is that... Is there any type of advice that uh, you can offer there based on your own experience? Well, yes, and, and you hit the nail on the head. Our human nature is is to focus on ourselves. And regardless of what the adversity is, we focus on ourselves, and we have to act differently not to focus on ourselves. And when I was going through the issues, I had a, a good friend and I were having dinner, and I made a couple of comments. He said, Hey, get over it. Stop stop throwing yourself a pity party. There's other people going through worse things than you are, which is true. And it, it really kind of woke me up. And I realized that when I think about myself in tough times, I hurt. But when I can think about other people and what I might do to help them, I don't hurt. I feel good because I'm doing something positive versus just dwelling on my own loss. Now, our natural tendency is to avoid people that are suffering. And I did this uh, before I lost my son. I had a first cousin lose her son. And I was a couple of hundred miles away. And I did not know what to do, so I did what's common. I did nothing. And I did not realize how bad a mistake that was until after I lost my son. And I realized that if I would have just showed up 
it would have been much better. And too often we worry about saying the right thing. And you don't have to say the right thing. Sometimes you say things meaning well, and it doesn't come out positively. Being there for somebody, telling them that you're there and can listen to them, you're there to sit with them, Uh, asking them, can I help you or let me know if I can help you doesn't really help because, as you said, people sometimes just they don't know. And so if you know somebody needs their grass mowed or run to the grocery store or their laundry washed or whatever it is you think you can do to help, you can tell them, hey, let me do this for you and let me help you out a little bit. And that's the type of thing that is really helpful to someone who's in that deep despair to where they're almost in shock or paralyzed. They're in such deep grief. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. You you point that out, and I think sometimes the best thing you can do is just physically be there, period. And you don't necessarily have to say a thing, but yeah, just letting folks know you're there. It, it is maybe not something that's going to get that immediate response, but certainly will uh, be way more uh, helpful than, than just not saying anything. Because you're right, uh, you made a, a great point a lot of times. People get almost paralyzed with fear of saying or doing the wrong thing, so they end up doing nothing, and and that really does just exacerbate it. And if you are the one uh, that's that's going through these things, and yeah, it's really really difficult to uh, adequately ascertain what's really being offered in that moment. But it can be better appreciated after the fact, especially once you do start pulling yourself out. But we do have to be careful not to, to say things like your the approach your friend took when he said, get over it, because sometimes that just makes it worse. Uh, I, I keep finding myself in that bad spot where I'm so busy trying to, to be Mr. Christmas that uh, when I look around and see somebody uh, pulling a Scrooge, I want to give them a hard time about it without taking that time to think about maybe they've got a reason for that. We really do need to be more mindful of that, too, before we get carried away. Because being callous about somebody else's feelings just because we expect a certain thing ourselves, that's kind of just being selfish again, too. And I'm afraid I have to admit, when it comes to the Christmas spirit stuff, I do tend to be a little um, a little selfish on that. I want everybody to be happy, too. <laughs> Well, and, it, and it's easy for us to do that, and I've done it also. We're, we're so focused on the things we're doing, and I, I've been that way, so focused on work that I may overlook someone who could really use a kind word or just a few minutes of my time. Uh, when you're in the deep grief, the first thing that I needed was hope because I did not care if I lived or what happened at all. I was in such deep grief, I didn't care, and thankfully had a friend who had lost a son and pointed out that, yes, you know, you'll get through this and there'll come a day when you have a good day and you'll feel guilty because you're not grieving. And he was so right because he gave me hope to go forward and turn negative into positive. And when we're in that deep grief, the other thing that happens is our time frame focus is only in the moment. And I grieved so hard that I I wrote about how I grieved breath by breath until I could grieve second by second, minute by minute, et cetera. And we have to help people realize that the time frame, the longer you look at time, 
the smaller whatever the situation you're going through looks. And the shorter the time frame, the larger it looks. And it's the same thing if you're standing next to a mountain, it looks huge. If you back up 50 miles, it may just look like a little uh, rise on the horizon. And that's the way it is with our time and our troubles as well. Uh, we have to look at a longer time frame. Yeah. Uh, the uh, old adage of a, a journey of a thousand miles, uh, starting with a single step, comes to mind. Uh, it's just when you're in the, the depths of that grieving process, it can be so hard just to take the next breath. Uh, it becomes difficult to imagine taking a step forward. Uh, it it, it that, really that, is hard to imagine uh, how bad it can be unless you've experienced it. Uh, yes. And part of and, the reason I uh, want to have you on here is so that we can help the folks understand who aren't going through it uh, the best course of action. Because the worst thing to do is to ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. Situational awareness and paying attention. If you want to feel good about something feel good about being there. There is nothing that's going to make you feel better than helping and serving your fellow man. And you don't have to be a person of faith to experience that. But I'll tell you, nothing will bring you uh, uh, grow your faith stronger than feeling that firsthand. Well, that's exactly right. As I tell people before I had my large loss that we discussed, I had ex what I'd call theoretical faith. But after going through those trials, I now have experiential faith that's much stronger than it ever was before. And I wish I didn't have to go through those things to have the faith that I have now, but I'm glad I have it. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard, as always, I greatly appreciate your time. Uh, before we uh, make our parting uh, discussion for the evening, though. I want to give you a chance to uh, finish up with any final thoughts that you uh, really want to put out there for helping folks to uh, cope uh, with the holiday season. And uh, then feel free to share any websites, any links to your work, and uh, wherever you're asking people to still follow you on social media, you're welcome to share that as well. Well, thank you. And, and one of the things I tell people is I don't grieve where my son is. I grieve where he isn't. And I have faith that he's in heaven, and I have faith that I will see him again. And that helps me here uh, because I'm doing things now that, it, that still add impact to his too short life, uh, even though he's not here, uh, but I believe I'll see him. And so we have a place in our heart, I believe, for each person that we love. And when that person's not here for us to give that love to them, that, that part of our heart has a hole in it that nothing can replace. And the only thing we can replace it in is trying to serve other people. And I'm reachable. My website's richardbattle.com. Uh, all nine of my books are there and are all signed. If you want them inscribed, I'm happy to do that. If you'll email me at richard at richardbattle.com. Other bookstores have them. Amazon has Kindle and audio books on most of the different books as well, and which we uh, appreciate anybody's interest in. All right. As always, sir, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And uh, I certainly hope we get a chance to get together again very soon. And uh, Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. We'd love to be back with you. And as we always say, God bless America.
Absolutely. Thank you so very much, ladies and gentlemen. Richard V. Battle. And uh, trust me, if you haven't picked up his latest uh, Made in America yet, uh, you definitely need to do that. And uh, just go visit richardbattle.com and check out all of his works. A lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, and a lot of helpful stuff. And with all that being said, we've got just a few minutes left here, just you and me, ladies and gentlemen. This is our very, very intimate time. It's late Friday. Well, it's not that late, but it's early Friday evening. And it's just you and me. We just had a, a very important conversation that while it wasn't that fun it's still a positive place to end the show because well it it's eye-opening it's one of those things where you take that time and like i uh, said earlier when richard was on the line with us i'm one of these guys that usually when it gets this time of year it's hey merry christmas that merry christmas uh, this uh, happy hanukkah and uh, if you're doing anything else uh, good luck that's that's where I'm at. I want everybody to be enjoying the Christmas holiday because it's very important to me. But we do get short-sighted. Uh, I have to say, uh, once I'm into the uh, the family holiday season, once we get up to the Thanksgiving, as soon as we're done with Halloween, uh, I tend to start moving into that realm. And I'm not very thoughtful and very conscious about the folks who maybe they don't have family left. There's a lot of folks that we all know. There's people in our neighborhoods that we need to reach out to. And if we can't do that this time of year, then we obviously can't do it at all. And I know I know that we, this audience, we're better than that. So we just need to balance our joy with uh, trying to help share that joy. That's all. All right, so with that being said, we're in the home stretch. I've uh, I've been letting a lot of you down here lately. I've not had much of an opportunity for the usual schedule. But we've been doing the Friday night live show and as long as uh, as long as the crazy Cajun over there in the control room is willing to keep doing it, we'll keep doing this thing live. The cat just puked in the co-producer chair. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Doug, that's part of why they say in show business, never work with kids and animals. <laughs> not not a pretty picture. Uh, yeah, we're, we're running a tight ship over here, but unfortunately, uh, sometimes the tightest of ships still has to deal with stuff on the fly. Love live radio. Uh, here we are. It is that time of year, and it's good to keep a you know, a human face on things. All this crazy stuff that's going on, stuff we were talking about earlier in the first hour, stuff we were talking about uh, with uh, with John O'Connor in the first part of this hour, this is the craziness that surrounds us. This is the stuff that will drive you nuts if you let it. This is the reason why it's really tempting to unplug as much as you can. And guys, I don't blame you. I would like to be able to do it Myself, and not just because I spend more attention, uh, pay more attention to it uh, for the purposes of the show than the average person might, but because it's just so mind numbing after a while to see these people do the same things 
over and over and over. We see this in the world of the political, and we see this in the world of cultural relevance. I'll use that term because anything less leads me into using naughty language I shouldn't use for the radio. We live in a time where we have a high-ranking member of the Biden administration that is involved with health and human services that is giving speeches about how being a doctor means you're a healer and that that healing involves treating children for gender dysphoria through the use of chemicals and surgeries in a way that's altering their body. They claim that that's science and arguing against the abuse of these children in that fashion is violence against the children and against science itself. That's not science denial. I don't know if you guys saw the admiral's speech that uh, resurfaced this past week. But if you listen to it very carefully, everything that he says in it is absolutely true. It's just I don't think we're talking about the same side. Some of these things almost sounds like a confession to a point. We have got to get back on track so we can't step away from the fight too far. But you need you need to focus on the things that are going to help you to recharge. Annie, for example, over at Southern Sense, she's pretty much shut down. She, she's unplugging. She's taking the holiday off, and that's a good thing. We need Annie in the fight. Don Smith, he's over. He stepped away from doing the regular show, the Don Smith show, but he's still in the fight. Our friend over at uh, Conservative Daily Briefing, Ken Crow, he isn't really doing a whole lot as far as slowing down. But even he's taking that little bit of We all need to take that break and remember, why are we in the fight? Why do we want to save the republic? Why do we want to protect children? Why do we care about terrorists being released to get back an American citizen who is being held abroad? We care about these things because we want there to be a future where America still means something. We care about the southern border because there is no country without a border. There is no American culture if we stop being a melting pot and just start being overrun with the idea and concept of multiculturalism. It's unpopular among the so-called progressives, but not all cultures are equal. Not all choices of your life are morally equivalent. We are in the fight because we care about what we pass down to the next generation, either directly to our families or to the population in general. We care about our fellow man. And that's the one thing we can't ever lose sight of. Because if we do, then there's no reason to be in the fight anymore. When we were talking to John earlier, he mentioned... Specifically, we don't want to be like the other guys. We don't want to discredit them. We want to argue the facts. Why? Again, 
because we want it to mean something. We want something that's going to stand the test of time. I thank God every day for the founders of this nation uh, standing on the principles that they did. Perfect? Absolutely not. Show me somebody who is. Show me a fellow human being that is flesh and blood and just human that is even close to being perfect. And I will tell you there's some stuff you don't know about that person. But if you tell me that my fellow American isn't worth fighting for, even even if it's freaking Nancy Pelosi, one of the, the craziest people from policy standpoints that I have ever met, even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I'm not certain has enough IQ points that if you converted it to electricity that it could run a light bulb. I'm not positive that she's at that level, but I will stand and fight for them because they are fellow Americans. We have to stay in that fight. They'll fight against me to the nail because they believe they want something else. And I will fight against the things they're trying to do that is bad for the country and bad for you, but I'll still stand for them because they're part of this country. And evidently, evidently Doug really enjoyed that last, uh, <laughs> last comparison. As, uh, I don't think he stopped laughing over in the control room yet. You're making my eyes water. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's hopefully in a good way. Uh, we need a, a, some positivity here at the end of the show. But... That's that's what we need to keep in mind. I've got a little less than two minutes left here to share with you, and I do not want to say goodbye right now because I want you to know I get behind this microphone for three reasons. Number one, because I want to make strong, legitimate, solid, fact-based arguments for conservative values and for Christian beliefs. We can continue if you want. You're not going nowhere except live frequency, and I got 24-hour access. <laughs> well, that might be true, but uh, I do have some other constraints myself. But uh, sometime I might just take you up on that. Uh, I don't know how the audience uh, on uh, last frequency would care about it at that point. But uh, the point being that uh, we we do this, I want to to be a voice for those things because that's something that matters to me. But I also want to make sure that in this country we are able to pass down to the next generation those same values and principles. And then the third thing, the reason I do this, is because sometimes I just need to get stuff off my chest. And guess what, guys? You're the people who get to listen. The microphone is a therapy session, and you got a good dose of that at the top of the show tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for being here, and special thanks to John O'Connor and to Richard B. Battle for joining us. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. My name is Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. I keep forgetting I'm president.
using both hands. 